The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's a Tuesday, July 6th hiatus edition of PFT Live and PFT PM. I'm back in the usual position today. A little change of pace. Out from the dungeon. No streaming hookup. The usual camera. I didn't think I'd be back in this seat until August 9, but here I am and here you are. So let's get to what's happening in the National Football League. Aaron Rodgers, Packers quarterback, later on Tuesday will be golfing against Tom Brady and Phil Mickelson with Bryson DeChambeau. I think I got all the names right. In the match, the 2021 edition. And Rodgers had some things to say on Monday about his offseason, his focus on mental health, and that's great. Look, sports are becoming more and more sensitive to the reality that the athletes are under a ton of pressure. There are all sorts of issues and challenges that they have to deal with all the time. doesn't matter how much money you're making. You're still human, fundamentally, and there are very human issues that go along with it. That's great. But there's still a mystery, a so-called beautiful mystery about Aaron Rodgers' future with the Green Bay Packers. Three weeks from today, it's time to show up for training camp. Will he be there? Will he not be there? No one still knows what the answer to that question is. And the press conference at which he made the comments on Monday about mental health, I saw one article about it so far. There may be more, but there was an item at ESPN.com from Ben Baby with the, the quotes, the key quotes from Rogers about why he's focused on mental health this offseason. But I can't find the actual press conference, the full version of it. I, I assume he said nothing about what his plans are three weeks from now because I assume that would have been a much larger headline than the question of of what he was focused on throughout the offseason because everybody wants to know will he be back I still think he'll be back but I'm I'm as in the dark as anyone else who doesn't have true inside information I assume his agents have an idea of what he's going to do I assume his fiance Shailene Woodley has an idea of what he's going to do I assume his head coach Matt LaFleur knows whether or not he's going to be there. And as we suggested a week or two ago, I think some things that Matt LaFleur said before the OTA process ended in Green Bay, I think based on those things, he he believes that Rodgers will be there. Regardless, we won't know for three more weeks. Vegas, or at least the points bet sportsbook, I, I don't know that they're making a prediction as to whether or not he's going to be there. They put the win total back on the board for the Packers earlier this month, July, at 9 I say take the over on that uh, because I think he will be there. And if he's there, 9-8, and eight, I, I think they'll be better than 9-8 and eight if Aaron Rodgers shows up. Now, one thing that may make it harder for them to be as good as they were last year when they were 13-3 and three, or the year before when they were 13-3, and three, the fact that Rodgers apparently hasn't done any work with his receivers, his pass catchers, his teammates, that he'll be, if he shows up, forced to try to accelerate that process. I mean, you think about it. Tom Brady spent a lot of time working with his guys. Even though a lot of it was away from the facility, he's working with his guys, getting ready for the season. Rodgers, my understanding, hasn't had off-site unofficial workouts with his teammates. Remains to be seen whether or not they're going to get together in the next three weeks. But Rodgers golfing today, 
I presume he's going to be at the the American Century Championship Pro-Am tournament this weekend. It'll be televised by NBC in Tahoe. And then you got two weeks until training camp opens. How ready will Rodgers be? I saw a video of him golfing yesterday. He still looks a little on the skinny side. Is he going to be ready to take the pounding that quarterbacks take, especially as they get deeper and deeper into their 30s? A lot of questions. And eventually we're going to get answers. Three weeks from today, the simplest yes or no question to start the process will be answered. Is he going to show up for training camp? Either he will or he won't. And if he doesn't, then what? And if he does, then what? Because I still think deep down, Packers CEO Mark Murphy would prefer that he not show up. Got no inside information on that one either. But I just think that Murphy, the guy who surely signed off on the drafting of Jordan Love in 2020, may be ready to turn the page. May be hoping that Rodgers doesn't show up and then he becomes the bad guy. The fans are always going to line up behind the laundry, especially in Green Bay, where plenty of fans own a piece of the laundry because they're shareholders. If Rodgers doesn't show up, he gets the Brett Favre treatment by the fan base, quite possibly. Because even though Rodgers has a legitimate beef with the Packers management regarding the Jordan Love thing, I don't get the impression that the fan base is universally lined up behind him and chastising the team for doing what it did. Because you know what? At some point, he's not going to be there. They have to be ready for the future. Now, are they being maybe a little overly zealous about their preparation? Yeah. They didn't need to use a first-round pick last year on Jordan Love. They didn't need to use the fourth-round pick that was the bait for trading up. They gave up two picks, a one and a four to get a guy who stood on the sidelines all last year. And if Aaron Rodgers shows up and doesn't get injured, he'll be standing on the sidelines again this year, not helping the team win a Super Bowl. But the bottom line is, I think Rodgers will be there trying to help the Packers win a Super Bowl. And wouldn't it be a great story if he did, as his final act with the Packers, win a Super Bowl and walk off into the sunset and then get traded within a month to a team like the Broncos or maybe the Raiders or maybe someone else. 2018 draft wasn't all that long ago. The three quarterbacks of the five taken in round one who have become pass on the pass-fail side, because really that's all that matters the first three years, pass or fail. Josh Rosen, fail. Not entirely his fault, but clearly fail. Sam Darnold, how could it not be fail? He got traded to the Carolina Panthers. He could still flip that F to a P, but for now, we're not thinking about his second contract. We are thinking about second contracts for the other three guys taken in round one that year. Baker Mayfield of the Browns, first overall selection. Josh Allen of the Bills, seventh overall pick. And then with the final pick in round one, it was the Ravens trading back in to get quarterback Lamar Jackson, who was the 2019 NFL MVP. Not, not a bad way to cap your second season in the National Football League. So now this dance continues of who's going to get paid, who goes first. I continue to believe the two guys who have agents, traditional agents, Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen, they want to let Lamar Jackson go first. We reported over the weekend that the negotiations, even though there's a lot of confusion and I think some incorrect reporting about who's involved in the negotiations, for example, Lamar Jackson's mother isn't negotiating on his behalf. Jackson is the one who's doing the negotiation, and he's being advised by others. But those negotiations moving smoothly – I think he's the first one to do the deal. 
I think the Bills and Josh Allen need to do a deal because, like Jackson, I think it's clear now that Josh Allen is a top 10, if not top 5 quarterback. And you do have to ride that guy as long as you possibly can. That's the Ravens' attitude with Lamar Jackson, and I think it is, or at least should be, the Bills' attitude with Josh Allen. This is our guy. We're going to see how it goes. We're going to get a contract in place that we believe uh, is appropriate, is fair, and that sends the message, this is the guy for the foreseeable future and beyond. The Ravens definitely feel that way about Jackson. The Bills, as I said, should feel that way about Josh Allen. With Mayfield, you know, there's some thought in league circles that the Browns would like to give it one more year, even though it's a calculated risk. Because let's say Mayfield wins the MVP in 2021. And when you think about how MVP gets determined, one seed in each conference, the quarterback of a one seed, that, that's the guy who has the inside track. Two guys have the inside track, AFC one seed quarterback and NFC one seed quarterback. If the Browns end up taking the number one seed, and, and, and look, the AFC is very top-heavy this year, so it's by no means an easy proposition. But if they end up there, Mayfield's got a good shot at being the MVP. And he, he was great the second half of last year as the Browns ascended. If the Browns wait a year, And if Mayfield ends up being one of the truly best quarterbacks in the NFL, it's going to cost a lot more next year to get him signed than it would this year. The question becomes this. What would the Browns pay this year, and how close is that to what Mayfield wants? Mayfield has always been very confident in himself, and that's great. You need that to thrive at the NFL level. How big of a gap right now is there between the Browns' willingness to pay and Mayfield's expectations? It may just be that they can't find a way to make the two sides come together this year, and they have to wait a year. And that's a gamble for Mayfield. If Mayfield says no to that bird in the hand, that bird could shrink by next year if he gets injured, if he has a rough season, if he regresses. And the reason that this is all relevant, the two contracts done for the 2016 number one and number two overall picks, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz. Three years after their careers started, they got their second contracts. Two seasons after doing those second contracts, their teams and, – and look, we don't even have to – I mean, it's no it's, – it's, it's a given. They regret it. We don't have to put anyone under a lie detector test to get to the truth. Clearly, they regret it. The Eagles traded Carson Wentz to the Colts, and the Rams tucked Jared Goff into the Matthew Stafford trade, and – as a practical matter, gave up a first-round pick to get that contract off the book. So that that is the cautionary tale. And I thought it was funny back in May when Brown's GM Andrew Barry said, it's not a cautionary tale, those contracts, the Wentz and the Goff contracts. It, it is. It is. And I, and I think the fact that Barry said it isn't is kind of an effort to obscure the reality that the Browns are going through that analysis. Very heavy on analytics. And... When, when you focus on that aspect, you understand more than any other team that your players really are interchangeable parts. And the question becomes, if we pay Baker Mayfield what he wants, that's one approach. The other approach, with all these great quarterbacks coming out of college every year, could we do dollar for dollar a lot better at the quarterback position? Mayfield at whatever his magic number is, 
rookie at a slotted deal for three years before you get into what the next round of financial compensation is. Don't be surprised if it goes that way. Don't be surprised if Mayfield wants so much that the Browns say, as a business proposition, we're not doing it. They're facing that challenge in the coming year with Nick Chubb, one of the best running backs in the NFL. But you know what? You can find another Nick Chubb in round two, round three, round four, round five, round undrafted. There are plenty of running backs out there every year. It's part of the challenge, and it's one of the problems of having a great team. It's easy to be driven by analytics and that type of analysis when you don't have star players. When you do have star players, when fans are invested in those players, when fans have purchased the jerseys of those players, it becomes a lot harder to treat them like the interchangeable parts that a team that is so driven by analytics would prefer to do. The Colts employing basic common sense when it comes to how much you will pay a guy and what dollar-for-dollar value you get. They have been very resistant under GM Chris Ballard to splurge in free agency. Every year there's there's some big-name guy that we think, oh, the Colts are going to go do it. They're going to go do it. They're going to go after this guy. They're going to go after that guy. The biggest thing they've done under Ballard, the trade for DeForest Buckner, and they turned around and gave him a pretty big contract after they gave up the first-round pick for him. That's the exception, the rare exception. Chris Ballard recently said, They are not going to pay B-level players A-plus money. And that's what happens right out of the gates in free agency. Unless there is some guy out there that you have to pry away from a team that recognizes, you know what, we're not going to be able to pay all these guys on our front four. We better flip one of them and get what we can. That's why Buckner was available. That's why the Colts did it. The usual run-of-the-mill free agency class has a bunch of guys who are right there out of the gates, and someone pays too much. And the Colts always resist that temptation to pay too much. And they've quietly put together a team that that continues to contend better than we thought it would after the sudden Andrew, Andrew Luck retirement in late August of 2019. They've been, I think, all in all, overachieving. Playoffs last year gave the Bills everything they could handle in the wild card round, and there's a good chance they're going to be pretty good this year. But along the way, they are not going to overpay for players. That is the key. That is part of the The quality of the sport that sets the human emotion aside and just looks at the player, rips the name off the jersey, and decides the amount of money this guy wants and what we get from him versus the amount of money this guy would cost and what we get from him. And every year, those draft picks with the slotted contracts, with the certainty for three years, with the lesser money for three years at a minimum, That's the better way for a lot of these teams to go, and that's why we we see so much of a focus now on the draft. That's the way you reload. And then those guys become your star players, and then you make a decision at some point. Do you pay that star player what he wants, or will someone else pay that that potential B-level player A-plus money on the first day of free agency? One of the news items that is lingering and percolating in the month of July How many teams will take advantage of the NFL's new rule allowing for a second helmet? Anyone who's going to do it for 2022 must declare their intention by the end of this month. And I mention that now because the 49ers reportedly considering a red helmet. Yes, a red helmet as an alternative helmet beginning in 2022. The problem for a lot of the teams is that, and I'll give you the easiest example, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers creamsicles. And and this was either not noticed, ignored, or not understood by 
the reporters who were so quick to start saying, well, we'll have the Pat Patriot uniforms in 2022. We'll have the creamsicles in 2022. The deadline for submitting alternate uniforms for 2022 has already passed. So unless the Buccaneers guessed right and assumed that they would have the ability to use the white helmet, there's no reason to submit a plan for an alternate uniform based on the creamsicles, the orange and yellow and white. It would look ridiculous with the helmet that they currently wear. So that's what's going to slow that process down for the teams that would like to have that throwback uniform that requires the shirt and the jersey to go along with the helmet. For the 49ers, they're bringing back the 1994 throwbacks this year. I, I, I just slap a red helmet on that for next year. Look, Look, there's plenty of financial reasons for having an alternate helmet because you sell the alternate helmet. And we, we know football's a business at this point. We've talked about it over and over again. Football's family, no. Football's business, and they say football's family because it's good for business. And what's good for business is having more stuff people can buy. I, I'm, not, I'm not faulting it. I'm a capitalist. Make money. Get paid. But, you know, the consumer needs to have their eyes wide open about what this is about. If you have a second helmet that you wear, you have a second helmet that you sell. And that's the key. And if you buy that helmet, if enough people like that helmet that they do go out and purchase it, more money for the team that you're supporting. By having your two helmets, full size and miniature, base helmet, alternate helmet. That, that's, that's what teams have lost out on over the past eight or nine years since the NFL insisted on one helmet. That, that cash cow is returning as soon as next year, and it sounds like the 49ers are going to try to take advantage of it. I have no problem with them doing it. All right, let's answer some questions on this Tuesday hiatus edition of PFT Live, PFT PM. Interesting question from Paul Benjamin Fitzsimmons. As an old man who hates that numbers are changing and still believes receiver numbers should be in the 80s, I've always wondered something. Setting aside how it might affect player relations and PR, can a team arbitrarily dictate what number a player can have or is that prohibited? Look, I've, I've always been a believer, and I've never heard anything to the contrary. The team controls the numbers. The team issues the numbers. The team decides who wears what number. Now, you know, in a lot of cases, the team doesn't care. Hey, we got a new receiver. These are the numbers that are available. Which one do you want? Okay, give him 82. Give him 12. This year, give him three if he wants it. So I don't think teams really care all that much. But if you have an owner who says, yeah, I really don't like this single-digit thing. If Miles Simmons would win the lottery and buy a team, if he'd end up buying the Browns from the Haslams, he could say, because we know he hates single-digit numbers, he could say no one's wearing single-digit numbers other than kickers, punters, and quarterbacks. So I think the team can impose its own approach. But, you know, the reality is, yes, player relations could be an issue, and at some point you run out of numbers. That's why they passed this rule. They're running out of numbers, and they have some guys on the team wearing the same number, multiple guys in the same number. The Chiefs proposed this change specifically for that purpose in order to have more numbers available for more players. Interesting question here from the PFTPM posse. Just because I read the question doesn't mean I'm going to answer it. Generally speaking, 
How many owners have you heard credible rumors of pretty significant misconduct about no names or identifying info? Well, what am I? What am, I mean, what am I? How, what am I supposed to do with that? PFTPM posse. Generally speaking, tell us what you know. Don't name names, but tell us what you know. And and this flows from my belief that the league went easy on Washington football team owner Dan Snyder last week with its findings from the workplace misconduct investigation as a way to ensure that other owners won't be held to the same standard. By protecting Snyder, they've protected themselves. Now, I am aware of no misconduct accusations or investigations or allegations. But you know what? We didn't know a damn thing about what was going on with Jerry Richardson in Carolina until multiple individuals who had signed confidentiality agreements, who had received settlement payments from the Panthers to resolve potential civil claims against Jerry Richardson and the team. They broke those agreements. And I continue to have a concern about that because – When you commit to confidentiality as part of the value you're getting to resolve your civil claims, and that's how the sausage gets made, civil litigation, it's about money. 95% of the cases that get filed are about compensation for some violation of someone's rights. You get extra to agree to not say anything. Somebody said something, and it brought down Jerry Richardson. Well, how many other owners out there have entered into similar confidentiality agreements to settle claims of misconduct that if we knew what the misconduct was, the reaction would be that person's unfit to own an NFL team. Again, I know of none, but I believe that the owners don't want to have to worry about someone having power over their ability to continue to own the team by making accusations that potentially get resolved with a settlement agreement that comes to light and brings down the regime. That's why I think one of the reasons why I think they went as easy as they did on Daniel Snyder. And look, they, they handled this masterfully. They dropped that report late afternoon on the Thursday of Fourth of July weekend. No one paid attention Friday. Saturday, Sunday, two ridiculously slow NFL news days as everybody enjoyed what ended up being a very nice weekend for most of the country. And then Monday, for a lot of people, a holiday. Five days later, here we are. How much is that resonating? I still think there's going to be a delayed reaction here. And I do think that Someone will be sufficiently troubled by the fact that the NFL is trying to conceal the findings, the factual findings that were reached by lawyer Beth Wilkinson, that somebody's going to do something about it. Whether it's lawsuits by former employees, whether it's congressional curiosity that results in a subcommittee hearing, or whether it is, and a point that I made on Monday, a prosecutor with jurisdiction over the Washington football team's workplace, deciding based upon the conclusions reached by the commissioner, of the things that happened, general conclusions. Maybe there's a reason to put a grand jury together and look into what actually happened because maybe there were some violations of criminal laws that occurred that would require intervention, prosecution, and maybe maybe some sort of criminal penalty. At Science Milk, why of all the episodes of The Office is this your favorite? Thanks, I'll hang up and listen. And the gif is... Kevin dropping the vat of chili. If I recall correctly, that was a cold open to start an episode, and I don't remember the rest of the episode. I don't remember it at all. So great cold open, but completely disconnected from the episode itself. It's not like the episode was about a chili cook-off or 
or chili recipes or anything about chili. That was just a little thing they played at the beginning of the show, and that was it. And then the show moved on to something else. And again, I don't remember what else that episode was about. So, no, I disagree with that. Uh, C.J. Newman, I know you didn't enjoy wrestling past the Chief J. Strongbow era, but since Peacock acquired the WWE Network, what have you watched in the archives that you enjoyed? I went through a stretch back during WrestleMania month where while I was working out, I would have on his background listening and periodic viewing because I'm riding a bike and playing Madden. So I, it's, it's like the George Costanza trifecta that gets me through the hour. Between playing Madden and having something on my phone, I can get through the hour on the bike. I watched WrestleMania 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and I think all of 6. I eventually lost interest, but the first few to watch those again, fascinating, and that's all I've seen so far. But but uh, the, the Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man and the Ultimate Warrior and, and, and just kind of reliving those events, a lot of fun. And there's so much on. There's such a rich, a rich library of past WWE, back when it was the WWF. That's how long ago it was. Plenty of great stuff out there see what else we have another one from cj newman remember that time you were considering a pftpm summit yeah that's not looking like a consideration in 2021 how about a virtual summit uh nah, i'm not interested in doing anything virtual i don't know how interested i am in doing anything in person either look the pandemic changed me i assume it's changed a lot of people and i don't know how long i'm going to feel this way i got no desire to interact I got no desire to go out. I got no desire to do anything other than be in my house and take care of my business and do the things that I want to do and be around the people that, that I want to be around. The only thing I do is go to the store. I like going to the store. I like going to the store because you go with a list, you get the stuff that you went with, you go home, you put it away, and you feel like you got something done. But at the store, now, with the masks on, it was kind of easy to not interact. Now that the masks are off, you know, and I'm not going to be impolite to anyone, but I just want to get my stuff, I want to get home, I want to put it away, and I want to get back to doing what I want to do. So, long story bearable, I, I love all of you, I just don't want you coming to my house or anywhere else that I'm going to be. Sorry, but that's just the way it is. We can have our relationship through this medium. Isn't that enough? I would like to think that it is. Next question. Uh, let's see. This one I was intrigued by, and I actually did a little bit of research on it. With the recent NIL rulings, which college players who never made the NFL through injury or whatever would have benefited and earned the most if they could have? Now, I've, I've twisted this question a little bit because most of these players did make it to the NFL. Tommy Prothrow is the one. At, was it Tommy? or T I think it was Tommy Prothrow. The last name was Prothrow. I may be getting the first name wrong. At Alabama, horrible injury, 2005-ish. He would have been potentially a great NFL player. He would have made a lot of money NIL from Alabama or through Alabama, through his stardom at Alabama, and and uh, he would have had that nest egg when the injury prevented him from playing in the NFL. But guys like Tim Tebow, Johnny Manziel, Peter Work, remember him, what a star he was at Florida State? You know, there are plenty of great college players who just never resonate, never make it, never can bust through that ceiling and become NFL stars. Well, those kinds of players. Think about how much money Tebow would have made. Think about how much money Manziel would have made. Think about how much he did make. Think about how much more he would have made if he didn't have to worry about getting in trouble with the NCAA when he was signing autographs. Off you go. You know, you win the Heisman as a freshman, and then you stick around for multiple years, and you make the money off of that fame. I think those are the guys to watch. 
going forward. The guys who make an immediate impact, Heisman finalists or Heisman winners as freshmen or redshirt freshmen, then you've got multiple years after that where you can live off that fame. You can sell that fame. You can profit from that fame, regardless of whatever happens at the NFL level. And one of the things that we pointed out recently, the fact that that you can make that money while also staying in school may cause more guys to choose to stick around for one more year before entering the draft. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. All right, let's see what else we have here. Stephen Monk. Will Aaron Rodgers be booed by the Packer faithful if he takes the field in a Packer jersey this season? I, I don't think that they'll boo him if he's there playing for the Packers. The moment he's back, the moment he's all in, everything's forgotten. Bygones are bygones because all that other stuff won't matter if he's back in the fold. Now, if they struggle this year, if they aren't 13-3 and or close to it, that's when you have to wonder, will some Packers fans say, boy, if you'd just been there for the offseason program, if you'd been there for mandatory minicamp, if you'd gotten together with your teammates, if you'd been more invested, if you'd been more all-in, maybe we'd have been better. Maybe this is on you. That, that's the risk he's taking if he does show up because he disconnected for so much of the offseason. You know, they meet the Buccaneers again in the playoffs and Tom Brady and his guys fully ready to go from basically the day after the boat parade. And Rodgers kind of blows into training camp and says, hey, here I am. Let's go ahead. Let's get ready. Uh, that that could create some resentment, but I, I I don't think they're going to boo him as long as he's wearing a Packers jersey. I just don't think that's the way it's going to work. Let's answer a couple more here. Prod Visper. What do the Seahawks have to do to get back to winning Super Bowls? It feels like every year we surprise people, we, and win plenty of games early, but fail to complete the job down the stretch or in the wild card divisional round. Is it a Pete problem or just better talent across the NFL? Well, you know, when... When we were going through the Chris Sims top 40 quarterback countdown and Russell Wilson fell, Sims and I kind of agreed. Russell Wilson is still as good as he ever was. 
there are just guys in the NFL now at the quarterback position who are better than Russell Wilson. Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, better than Russell Wilson. And they haven't been to the NFC Championship since 2014, the year that they pulled the rabbit out of the hat and beat the Green Bay Packers and went back to the Super Bowl and almost went back-to-back losing, as everyone knows, in the closing seconds to the New England Patriots. They haven't been back to the NFC Championship since that year. So, I, I look, it's defense. that That's fallen off. And they either need to put back together the kind of defense they had during the two years they went to the Super Bowl, or they truly do need to turn over the offense completely to Russell Wilson. That's what he wants. Maybe that's what they're going to do with Shane Waldron. Last year, they tried to do it. The problem is, after they had enough film, six, seven, eight games, defenses caught up with them, and they didn't pivot. They didn't have the kind of creativity that would confound the defenses. That's why it's always important. You've got a successful offense. You have to scout that offense yourself. Self-scout yourself, as Sims would say, and make the changes necessary. Anticipate how defenses are picking up on trends and tells and tendencies and change. Be ahead of your own offense. That's what the Seahawks likely failed to do last year, and that's going to be the challenge this year with Shane Waldron. And after the season, I don't know, if they, if they don't make it to the NFC Championship again, what happens? Do they trade Russell Wilson? Does he want out? At some point, do they choose between Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson? It's hard to say because ownership is as detached in Seattle as it is anywhere else. Jody Allen, the sister of Paul Allen, owns the team. Vulcan Management, I think, is the name of the company. It's Vulcan something. Vulcan something kind of oversees the team. But Pete Carroll's pretty much in charge of the football operation. And unless and until someone above Pete Carroll decides that they're sufficiently troubled by where things are, that they're going to do something about it, Pete Carroll's still going to be in charge. And, and this is where you have to ask yourself. For... Any given NFL team, what is your indicator of success? Is it how much money you make? Or is it how close you are to winning a championship or winning championships? That's really the key distinction. Because if the Seahawks are just one of the many holdings, one of the many companies, one of the many interests that are under this broader Vulcan umbrella, and every year they are turning a gigantic profit, you could make the argument, who cares? If they're not winning Super Bowls, who cares? You know, every team will say our goal is to win the Super Bowl. Of of, of course it is. That's 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 why the game is fundamentally played to win as many games as possible, to position yourself as best you can for the postseason, win the playoff games, get to the Super Bowl and win it. But the reality is that they want to make money. They're here to make money and they need to say they want to win the Super Bowl in order to make as much money as possible because your fans need to think you're trying to win the Super Bowl. That gets into the broader philosophical discussion we've had about other teams like the Packers. What's good enough in Green Bay? Is it good enough to just be on the porch and not kick the door in? Is it good enough in Minnesota to get to the playoffs every other year, maybe win a playoff game once every four years? Is that good enough? Is it enough to keep the fan base activated and engaged year in and year out, filling up the stadium, buying all the stuff, including the alternate helmet? Is that enough? 
or is there a consuming, burning desire to win as many Super Bowls as possible? The problem is if that's how you define success, you're going to be pissed off a lot because there's only one of those trophies given out a year. But all 32 teams have to make money, and, oh, they all are making a lot of money. If you don't believe me, just wait until the Packers' financial report comes out later this year. NFL leads. When is Playmakers out? Will there be an audiobook version? Playmakers comes out March 15. Pre-sale, official pre-sale is coming. I, later this month, just to give you an idea how this process works. I wrote the thing from, I think I started on election night and I finished it right around inauguration. And not that that was the goal. That was just kind of how that window of time for me was filled up. Uh, We've been through a round of edits. It's now in the copywriting process where a copy editor, not copywriting, but copy editing where a copy editor is pouring over all of it for typos and anything else that needs to be cleaned up. I'll get that back. I'll go through it. And then I think there's one final run through that'll be like late August. uh, And then uh, it's in the can until March 15. So uh, like I said, there will be pre-sale. I, I think there will be an audio book. I know there's something to that effect in the contract. We talked recently about, you know, the fact that I'm probably the one that's going to have to read the thing, uh, which is fine, which is fine. I don't know how long it would take. I know how long it takes me to read a book anyway. I don't read all that fast. I want to understand it and savor it and enjoy it. Uh, I, I have no idea how long it's going to take to read about, I think it's about 300 pages, at least 300 pages on, on the word processing software I use. So it's going to take a while, whatever it is. We'll see how that goes. What else do we have? We got some funny people. I know that. Najee Harris's football calf. What? I don't I have no idea what that means. Oh, there's a picture of his calf. <laughs> Not his cow, but his calf. Who do you have more confidence in going forward between Kyler Murray and Justin Herbert? That's a tough question. I think given given... The structure around him, I think Herbert. And I think the Chargers are going to become a very good team very quickly now. It would be better if they weren't in the AFC West with the Chiefs, but but they'll find a way. I think Herbert's got all the tools, all the skills. And I think with Brandon Staley there as the head coach, he's going to unlock the maximum potential from Justin Herbert. Staley recently said the offense is going to run through Herbert. And it, it was great to see the the trolls on Twitter say, whoa, 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 what offense doesn't run through a quarterback? Well, plenty don't run through the quarterback. The idea is the quarterback is the guy around whom the offense is built. That's what Russell Wilson wants so badly in Seattle. The, the offense hasn't been built around him. It's run the ball, it's play defense, and it's rely on Russell Wilson when you need to. Patrick Mahomes, the offense runs through him. That's how it's going to be for Herbert. With Kyler Murray, I think he's got superstar potential. I, I just think that they may need a different head coach to get the most out of him. And I think this year is so critical for Cliff Kingsbury. If they don't make the playoffs this year, and you can you can already see it. You can feel it. Kyler Murray's getting frustrated. Steve Kimes saying, we have to cash in while we have Kyler Murray under his rookie contract. You have different players saying it's now or never. And, and you consider the history of the Cardinals organization. No one has coached that team for more than six seasons. This is season number three for Cliff Kingsbury. I don't think he gets a fourth if he doesn't take Kyler Murray and the rest of that team to the playoffs, especially when you look at all the changes they made this year in an effort to get better. I think that that is probably it for today. Let me check because I did a second call this morning and I haven't looked at those yet. 
Um, let's see what we have here before we wrap it up. Let's see. CP7NY, when is the Watson situation getting resolved, and will he get traded this close to opening week? I, I, let, me, let me finish with that one. Um, I, I think that the 22 lawsuits pending against Deshaun Watson can be resolved in theory at any time. And the fact that they got caught up on the question of whether and to what extent the outcome and the facts and the allegations and everything else relating to the cases would be confidential. That tells me that they had some sort of an understanding as to what the amounts would be. You don't get to the point where you're haggling over confidentiality if you aren't even close to a consensus on how much is going to be paid. So I think that could be dusted off at any moment between now and the opening of camp. What I continue to believe is that without a settlement, the NFL needs to let Watson, the Texans, and any team interested in trading for him know whether or not he's going to be put on paid leave. If he's put on paid leave, if he knows he's going to be put on paid leave, you show up for camp with the Texans, you get put on paid leave, you make $10 million this year to not play football unless the Texans are going to cut him, which I doubt that they would do. They could also trade him from paid leave, and, and a team could say, hey, we'll, we'll, give you, we'll give you whatever you'll take for Deshaun Watson, and we'll pay him this year to not play, knowing that we're going to have Deshaun Watson at some point. Because he will play football again at some point. I'd be stunned if he doesn't. He's still quite popular. Look, I I don't want to set myself up for freezing cold takes here. But I'd be stunned if he never plays football again. I'd be stunned if he doesn't play by 2022. But either way, the NFL, I believe, if the cases aren't settled, needs to let everyone know before camp, yes, no, will he be put on paid leave? If he's not going to be put on paid leave, trade market opens. And even though we're... We're close to the point where the hay needs to be in the barn for these teams. They're going to go forward with the quarterbacks they have. If all of a sudden the Dolphins could get Deshaun Watson, if the Eagles could get Deshaun Watson, if the Broncos could get Deshaun Watson, how do you not go at least try to get Deshaun Watson, especially if there's a chance that you can get him for less than what you would get him for if the 22 lawsuits would be resolved. They get those cases resolved. I think we're looking at multiple first-round picks. So we'll see how the rest of the month plays out. It's one of those things that it could happen out of the blue, any given time, any given moment, it could occur. We'll see how that plays out. We'll see you again, hopefully tomorrow, for another edition of PFT Live slash PFTPM. While we continue to be on our official hiatus, we'll be back on August 9. But as you've seen, if you've been paying attention to the website, we really haven't gone anywhere. Even during the slowest time of the year, there's plenty happening in the NFL. Thanks for some of your time today. See you again tomorrow. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. 
You don't have to hide how you feel. 